So Shane, uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever, if you have happened to notice, uh, my brother Kevin over here. Uh, I've once or twice. Has we, a, we, you know, we record in his garage, right? Oh, right, 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 right. <clears throat> Anyhow, I've known him all my life. Turns out, um, so I was there for his adolescent years, and he had uh, the quirky sense of humor that he has uh, shown these last few weeks. He he did enjoy back then as well. Does he and know what story you're going to tell? I don't think so, um, Kevin. You remember working for Target, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I just remembered the other day that, um, and I don't know why you brought this back home, but Kevin needed a shift covered uh, when he was working at Target. So he decided the best way to do it was to get a celebrity endorsement. <laughs> so he I put don't together this at all. He, yeah, he put together a sign that said, you know, like, hey, can you cover my, you know, Thursday night shift? I really appreciate it. It'd be great. And then he's got a pull quote with a, a uh, picture clearly lifted from like Sports Illustrated, and it just says, "Do it." He's a he's a nice guy, David Robinson, San Antonio Spurs, <laughs> in Kevin's handwriting. <laughs> Which, what I particularly enjoy about that Wait, is that... Wait, you were just standing on the side of the street getting yeah. any... No, no he hung it up in the break room. Yeah. Like, saying, like, oh, hey... I just had... I, I thought yeah. he put it on a pole and was... No, was, it was it was like hung up in the break person. room, and I, and I I don't can't remember if it worked or not. And you got Probably the shift covered. But anyway, yeah, he clearly had just cut out a picture of David Robinson from Sports Illustrated and put, uh, do it, he's a nice guy, with quotes around it, David Robinson, San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> and what I love about that is we were living in Houston, so he didn't even pull like Akeem. He went to like another Texas city and just got like their biggest star. <laughs> the well, first guy that he found in the magazine to cut it. That's good enough for me. Yeah, that'll, that'll work. I wonder the, if I got the magazine at Target, just cut it right out. You may right have. There. You may have. I uh, hope they didn't have to call Mr. Steele. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, the other, the other story I enjoy from Kevin's formative years is, uh, and Kevin will know where I'm going with this. Um, is uh, Kevin was once a guest on the morning sort of you know morning zoo zany radio Wacky show. Times. That's hey. right. Hey everybody, it's the booger and the badger. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but they got four seniors from uh, Kevin's Not class. Senior citizens, Not seniors in high school. Seniors in, <laughs> in high school. Four senior citizens yes. and then Kevin <laughs> and then for some Kevin random for, yeah, reason. Yeah. He just snuck in there. <laughs> Did you hear what he said, mom? But anyway, you know, I was kind of excited. This is my older brother. I was in eighth grade, so I, I taped the thing and went back and listened to it. And I enjoyed it so much that I, I listened to it many times. And I don't know how many years. I wish you had it right now. Yeah, I don't know how many years intervened until I told you the story again, Kevin. Like, it would have been 15 or something yeah. uh, later on. But anyhow, like this, you know, wacky morning DJ was like, hey, everybody, introduce yourselves. And so... You know, they've got, like, the cheerleader, and she's, hi, my name is Christy, and, like, go Bobcats. And some guy who's on the swim team and, you know, sort of similar, you know, type of introduction. And then they get to Kevin. And uh, Kevin assumes a character. I don't think we ever got the name of the character, but we know who his friend was because he apparently had his car. Um, so I, I don't know if... Uh, Kevin, you want to repeat? Yeah, so uh, let, me, I'll, let me, I'm just going to back us up just a second, which is to say that it was one of those, like, pre-internet, like, silly contests that re- top 40 radio stations and other radio stations would do in major markets. And so my high school won some kind of a contest, which is not in and of itself very particularly interesting. But the way that they had it situated was, like, right around, there were microphones all the way around the console. And then the you know the DJ was on the other side, and he is clearly like orchestrating this thing, and they're passing the mic around, and it comes to me, and I start doing this character, and um, he was pissed. That guy was so mad, but you couldn't do anything. It was yeah. live radio at the time, and so yeah. what he was supposed to do was like, "Hi, my name is Kevin. I, I play tennis, and thanks for having us, or whatever." Instead, yeah. yeah instead, I said. Uh, I uh, I have a message for Boog Jorez. Boog, I have your car. It needs transmission fluid. Thanks a lot. Anyway, the room loses its collective shit, like completely falls apart. The joke killed with everybody except for the now completely infuriated DJ on the other side. But um, I think the one best of the, part is if you break yeah, it down, yeah. here's a guy that um, like they they're supposedly friends, friends enough for him. Well. To at least know his name and have a you know want to you know but get in touch with him. Car. But he doesn't. Well, he doesn't 
really know how to pronounce his friend's name. No. <laughs> his Boog probably doesn't know that he has his car. <laughs> and by the way, you might want to get the transmission fluid deal. So, and I'm also servicing it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a complicated web we weave. I'd love to see you guys crack yourselves up. It's good I time. can see you when, uh, building forts as a little kid. We were. We did, we did, we did a little, little fort building. Cameron sure. would fart, hold Ryan's head under the covers. That uh, tittering would ensue. I don't know if we, or we have that story to tell. But uh, but anyway, yeah, that's the Boog Jorah's story, and it's one we, we kind of talk about from time to time. It's true. And this is Somebody Likes It. I'm Ryan. Jane. I'm Kevin. You guys... Let's do this. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. Uh, welcome back this week. Um, uh, this week we're going to be doing. Well, I should probably say the show again, right? Uh, this is somebody likes it. It is somebody likes it. We got Ryan, Kevin, the brothers Newsom, Word, Shane Bartell, and um, this week we're going to do uh, uh, Jay Tillman or Father John Misty's album Fear Fun. So I, I want to open this up. I'm really curious to see what you guys have to say about this album. I'll I'll at least start by saying that it was. It was actually kind of refreshing to listen to something that's come out in the, within the last three or four years. Was this yeah. record like two years old? Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Yeah. 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 And apparently he's got a he's got a follow up record that's just about. Uh, it's in. The, it's is it going to, to drop out. soon? Yes, it is going to drop. Whoa! Are you? Wait a minute. Have are, are you still like sitting like from a couple weeks ago? Are you still sitting in the hip hop catbird seat? Uh, like, that's right. That's right. Straight yes. out of Compton, still. <laughs> I got the street no. lingo down, man. <laughs> I, can, I can tell. <laughs> My good fellow. Super streety. <laughs> anyway, no, I, I did think it was cool because um, not the least of which is that you get a whole sort of like the the level and the type of um, buzz that you get about around an album. Maybe the same as, as you got around a popular album that came out years ago, but the sources are different, and they're the way that they carry themselves in the in the social age is a little bit different. So maybe that's just uh, that's just journalism talk. But I thought it was pretty fascinating to read up on this record as well as listen to it. I'm just glad it's not hair metal. Uh, you know, Shane, oh. <laughs> my friend Shane has gone some measure of uh, redemption or gone to some lengths to redeem himself. And I appreciate that. Oh, that's not going to last for very many weeks, my yeah. friend. Well, Thanks. And, and let's just, let us just say, um, and we'll, we've got plenty of time to talk about this record. I really enjoyed it, but um, it still doesn't wash off the stank of, of what we've been Slippery through. Slippery when wet. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's the thing. It's Which like, it, you would think that would be easy to wash off considering the title of the album. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it might, it, you know, they should have called it Sticky When Wet. Because like, <laughs> you can't seem to get rid of it. The damn thing was flypaper. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but that's not this week. This week is Father John Misty, and Shane, uh, you're the one who, who picked the record. Well, I really like this record, yeah. I, I, um, so the reason I threw it to you guys, I had, um, well, a few years ago, um, I randomly, I think I'd made a beer run, and I was sitting in, I heard this great song, like, coming back to the house, or a few people over having some sort of, like, quasi-party, you know, Seance. those kinds of things. Sure. Yes. No, Seance. this... <laughs> <laughs> Ouija board, conjuring the yeah. dead. We were tie dyeing shirts. Yeah, and uh, I, I sat in the driveway listening to the end of the song, and then I went and called the DJ, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that's Jay Tillman. He's the guy that plays drums for Fleet Foxes." And I was like, "This song is amazing." He's like, "Yeah, but he'll never release it. It's way too poppy. He likes these really sad, mournful, slow songs." And I was like, "Oh, it's amazing! Right up my alley." So the next day, I I, I purchased uh, two of his albums, and they were sad and mournful, but beautiful. I love those Jay Tillman records, but um, I, when I first heard this record a few years later, I was so surprised at how poppy it was. Not necessarily upbeat, but um, definitely tongue-in-cheek and a lot of the lyrics and, and, and a lot more orchestrated, and, and there's a lot of comedy in it. Very poppy. Not not somber, for, for the most no, part. No, it's just super melodic, though. Yeah, I super mean, melodic. The guy's got a great ear. Right, exactly. And... Um, that uh, 
that was such a, a surprise for me that that was the same guy that just a few years before um, was a guy that didn't want to put out what I thought was the best song I had heard that year, and the DJ saying he'll never put out. Well, how did, how did the DJ get? Uh, because they were friends. This guy, he was a writer for the Chronicle, uh, for the Austin mm-hmm. Chronicle, which is the weekly paper here in Austin. Um, and he was also he also did a Sunday night show, and uh, I guess they had become friends, or he wrote about him for some reason. The guy gave uh, Jay Tillman, Josh Tillman, gave him this unreleased record, and and this was stuff that was not going to be actually on the record when it was put out properly. But I want to tell you like something I was reading about um, about that, and I was I was curious how this happened, and I, I was reading something, and um, and the Dallas Observer he he had an interview and it said I used to do these Jay Tillman shows, and I would play my sad wizard Dungeons and Dragons music and watch people's eyes glaze over. Then in between songs, I would start being myself and shooting the shit and telling jokes. All of a sudden, people were wrapped with attention and. I had this very devastating and sobering realization that I was way better at that part of the show than the music part. And he goes on to talk later. There was another interview where he was saying basically he wanted to be this romantic, respected, but unknown writer. And then he realized that he played that for a while. He was really happy with it, but he was done with it. And then he did the Father John Misty stuff. I think there's a certain amount of immaturity that maybe like young artists go through, where, or at least ones that are you know really trying to you know, get serious that they over romanticize, you know, sort of the unknown greats. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Once you spin your wheels though in that in that rut, you spin your wheels for a couple of years trying and you and, and it's still being unknown and you realize that it it's not as much fun as it's it's not as romantic as yeah, it sounded I'd be willing when to you bet were nineteen. That if you sat down with, you know, Towns Van Zant back when he was, you know, still alive um, he would have told you, like, yeah, I'd love to be more well known. I mean, you know, or any of those guys that pay your fucking bills. I mean, Willie Nelson recording Poncho and Lefty, Tom Van Zandt's best known song. I mean, that fucking song paid his rent for years and years yeah. and mm-hmm. years and, his and bar years tab. and his bar tab. We can go on and on about that. No, I mean one of the, one of the things that you touch on here, Shane, that I think is really interesting is, um, you know, sort of these. These dueling personalities of um, of uh, Josh Dillman, and one of the things that that keeps coming up in things that I've read about this record, and frankly, supposedly makes up the liner notes. I I don't actually own the I don't own the disc or the LP, but uh, but if you get it, then apparently one of the things that you get along with that is uh, the it a description of the plot of his novel in progress. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a song on this record called "I'm Writing a Novel," and right. it's it's called that because he's writing a novel. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> and it's it is it's both straightforward and pretty funny. But um, but anyway, yeah, I just want to read a little, like I'd love to li- read this little excerpt of uh, one of the reviews <laughs> that I read, and, and uh, herein. Uh, it goes like this. He says, as Tillman describes the plot of his novel in progress, which he says is currently 50,000 words deep, it's clear that being serious isn't a notion that he's taking too uh, seriously. It's about this couple named Charles and Agnes Brimley, and Charles is an author writing this book about a herd of post-apocalyptic chihuahuas. <laughs> and who isn't, really? I mean, <laughs> yeah, so ch- chihuahuas after the apocalypse. Uh, Tillman explains, without a hint of humor in his voice, they go to Salt Lake City, walk by a funeral home, impersonate another couple, and order a 69 casket for themselves, a casket you can do 69 in. <laughs> well, That's hot. <laughs> <laughs> or cold, actually. Well, yeah. While Charles, Charles is writing his book, he gets into the casket and realizes that the voice of God is in there, and God's name is Josh Tillman, and Josh Tillman diverge, divulges the secrets of Charles's universe. I really like how the book is going so far <laughs> and his current working titles uh, uh, are uh, Eureka Royale and Operation Annihilate Pussy <laughs> that sounds about right see this is the reason why this guy needed to get out of the Jay Thomas this shit I think you guys will but we haven't talked about how you guys feel about this stuff musically but I think everybody in this room can can agree on the fact that these are some Pretty fucking hilarious lyrics. Oh uh, yeah. Well, and the funny, the funny thing, funny thing is, you know, to to your point, I was actually struck musically by the record in a completely opposite way. Than you know, it take it took a little while for for me to unearth 
the comedy, like to to get close enough lyrically to it to like see that he was having a little bit more fun with outside of stuff like I'm writing a novel. Can I can I read the the first two li- or the first two stanzas of I'm writing a novel? Let's hear them. I ran down the road, pants down to my knees, screaming, please come help me. That Canadian shaman gave a little too much to me. And I'm writing a novel because it's never been done before. First house that I saw wrote house up on the door, and I told the people who live there they had to get out because my reality is realer than yours. And there's no time for the present, and there's a black dog on the bed. I mean, sure. It's it's just ridiculous. (laughs) Well, it actually, and not necessarily exactly musically, but um, maybe the fact that he also writes absurd fiction as well, or quasi-fiction or whatever, but it reminds me a little of Robin Hitchcock. I, I Years back, read a couple Roger Hitch- Hitchcock short stories. I wouldn't have either. But well, not necessarily it, musically, but just little. sort of the like brilliant absurdity of it. Yeah, um, I mean, I can definitely. Yeah, my favorite line in that is uh, in that song is the funniest line. I think is I'm writing a novel because it's never, never been, been done, done before. before. Yeah. yeah, that's a Robin Hitchcock sounding thing. It is. A, that's a little balloon man. Hey, you know what? Why mm-hmm. don't we play that song? Let's okay. do it. All right, here it is. I'm writing a novel. house that I saw I wrote house up on the door and told the people who lived there they had to get out cause my reality is realer than yours and there's no time in the present and there's a black dog on the bed I went to the backyard to burn my only clothes and the dog That monkey might be right And if he is I'll be walking in my whole life Well, I'm no doctor But that monkey just might be right Oh, shit, you're, I don't really even know if point. we have that part of the clip <laughs> Well, there. that's all right uh, Fix well, it in post but, Yeah, that's yeah. That's that's more Josh Tillman lyrics right there. Yeah, no, it's a funny song. Like it's clearly a funny song, and he was having fun writing it. And it sounds like more fun than he ever had doing the kind of maudlin stuff that he was doing. Jay, Jay Tillman, Tillman uh, super morose. But it's or, beautiful music. Yeah. I mean, you guys should go back and 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 take a little bit. Well, no, no. And what, what I appreciate uh, particularly about this, Shane, is that I now feel like I've got a record that like was kind of my hope for starting this whole thing is like, you know, I'll discover some records that I'm going to want to go back and then I'll just sort of add to my collective mental repertoire of stuff I like to just listen to. Well, yeah, okay. So, you know, good point. Like, what what were your... What did you take away from this? Uh, great How record. I, I, I almost feel like I'm not going to be very interesting about it because not, there's not much to bitch about. Um, the closest thing I could say is that sometimes his voice sounds a little like Ringo. But, like, he's clearly a better singer than Ringo Starr uh, and certainly a better songwriter. Um, but, no, like, I mean, I dug it. I thought it was, like, consistently compelling, uh, hyper-merlotic. Merlotic, that's Mer- right. Mer- is that a new grape? Yeah. New wine? Mer- uh, can you give me a glass I'm of Merlotic? I'm doing a mashup on vocabulary. <laughs> it, no, it was hyper-merlotic. Um, uh, you know, I feel like it's going to reward repeated listenings. You know, I don't have it. You know, uh, on the mental hard drive just yet, but um, I feel like it's one of those things that the more I go back to it, the more I'm going to discover out of it. The more you go back to it, the more it might for every time you listen to it, it might force Bon Jovi songs off of the mental. Well, that control. is actually is the goal. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah the, the more I can get, uh, what's the one where she loses the virginity in the back of the car? Oh, um, God. <laughs> oh, never say goodbye. Never say Thank goodbye. you for ringing that back yeah. up, right? <laughs> um, as long we as we can make push that song, the, hey, our at theme least I couldn't remember the name. At least I couldn't remember the name. It's already working. And you lost more than that in my back seat, baby. Anyway. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, if it can push more of that uh, off the mental hard drive, then we're we're having some success. But anyhow, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't have a lot to criticize about it. Um, you know, it's very melodic without being, like, uh, you know, rotely pop. You what, know, did you, what did you find compelling? I mean, there's a lot. Well, I mean, it's, the- it's, it's, 
sort of clever pop. I think it's very well produced. The lyrics are uh, the lyrics are nothing you see hallucinations. Yeah, they're nothing you see coming. Sure. Ever, you know, like it's it's. I, I can't think of anything to really compare this to that I'm like, oh, this is definitely just like this. There's like, elements from the 70s. There's elements from like Flying Burrito Brothers and and um, stuff like that and Beach Boys and stuff like that. But sure. Nothing, I, but nothing that's really obvious. No, I think there, there are things you can say, okay, well, he kind of took this away from, from that or this away from that. But the, the sum is certainly – more than the whole of its parts. I think or it peters out toward the, the end more a little bit. Some of the parts, anyway. Um, pardon? I think it peters out um, toward the end. Um, the last couple of songs are nowhere near as good as the the first three quarters of the record. But I mean, that's to be said for for any album that treats itself as an album. I think, like historically, I just I really enjoy the usage of the word "peter" as a verb. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So beyond that, I, you know, I do think that one of the things that's kind of interesting, like, I, wait a minute, when, oh, can I? Sure. I just realized I said that's true for any album that treats itself as an album. Maybe the brightest thing I've ever said. That's true for any album that treats, treats itself as an, as an album. album. You are profound. The, my uh, pretty sure you guys know what I'm talking about. I, but. I, yeah. Sure. Hey, you know, and I think you could even make the argument that that maybe this is an album that doesn't always treat itself like an album sometimes it's a little bit of it's a little bit of uh you know minstrel stand-up so to speak absurdist like, storytelling yeah. by minstrel yeah. do you mean m-i-n-s-t-s-t-r-l yeah like can we just miss the 14 year old from the room for a minute you but i use that i use that version of that word on purpose because when i upon first listen before you get into the lyrical content and you realize like how much fun he's having and that it's that it's really there are parts of it that are actually really silly i was struck by the fact that like the kind of the sonic fabric of this record is very similar or it on first listen it sounded a little bit like there are little bits of aa bondy in there i like i got i felt like i was getting a little bit of that same like sort of comfortable indie um backstory that is the whole like I go, you know, he was like naked in a, a tree, like apparently for part of this, like when he when he had this vision and started to put a lot of this stuff down on paper. Oh, so it's like a Bonnie Vare type story, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, he was not in Minnesota, holed up in a <clears throat> ice cabin or whatever. He was he was in a tree in California or or Seattle or wherever. Well, that's a little formulaic, you know. Everybody knows you get naked in a tree. You can write a good record. Yes, that is a little for. I just yes, yes, that is incredibly formulaic. That's how yeah. you write you songs. Get, that you write you get na- naked and get in a tree. Either that or you've just dropped a lot of acid. Well, I've, I, well, uh, I think both of those things happened. Yeah, we can uh, tell some acid <laughs> stories, Ryan. Uh, not right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, but I do. But I did find one poll quote from um, from an interview. David Robinson. Yes, from David Robinson <laughs> that I'd like to share now. <laughs> if, if anybody wants to pick up my shift at Target from twenty five years ago, anyway. The, um, no, the um, he said. I just found one sentence in this this uh, article particularly compelling, which was that he said, "My humor is my creativity, and my skepticism is a gift." And I think that that both speaks to everything that, like all the the chatter around this record about his, you know, the 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 part of his upbringing that he openly rebelled against in in terms of trying to become a more self-actualized That's exactly what I was thinking about when you said my skepticism is a gift I'm like well it's your legacy anyway like from how yeah. you were raised yeah, and re- and kind of snapping out of it Sure um I, I don't know which of you guys would like to address it or maybe I can but well you know he was raised by strict um evangelical Christians Right I can relate who, to that Um uh, well, I guess my parents weren't that strict, but we definitely people were healed in church, and there were well. And Kevin and I both, you know, attended services as, as kids or whatever. But I wouldn't say that our parents were like strict. No, I was raised that way. Yeah, and I yeah. and I don't instead of like I don't want to necessarily take this solely down the road of like religion versus non-religion because I think that's antithetical to what we're talking no. about. But I think in terms of couching it around this record, like he clearly was like, you know, it sounds like. As during his childhood, the way that he identifies with the childhood was like there was this sort of constant sphere of religion and uh, 
battle for his eternal whatever. Well, right. His and parents so, wouldn't yeah. let him own, own any records that weren't by strict Christians, and I guess Bob Dylan went through his Christian phase or whatever. We put out Christian records, so he was okay. Right. Uh, but apparently he was, um, Josh Tillman was made to attend like a, a Pentecostal school when he was like in seventh or eighth grade or both. Uh, where people were speaking in tongues, and, uh, and I can't imagine like being, you know, hyper hormonal and um, trying to figure out puberty and all that stuff with like dealing with this. I mean, to me, that stuff is insane. But be- and beyond <clears throat> that, like the interesting thing here is like the way that he has chosen to couch that as an adult is to be as creative as possible to consider. All sorts. It sounds like. I mean, if you read anything or read any of the interviews that this guy's given, like it's one reference after another. You know, um, he is he is eternally curious, and I think that that seems like that's one of you know. Well, I think that comes across. I think he enjoys LSD, mushrooms, alcohol, ayahuasca. I think there's there's something to be said I, I think for that too. There are certain hence the Graham Parsons situation, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know about the heroin yet, but well, at any rate, no, it's it, uh, it was a, it's a really interesting listen, and it's been almost as fascinating. One thing that we do, uh, to to read up about it, but one of the things that that we don't get here, we don't get the benefit of here, is apparently during his stage performances, he dances all crazy and shit, and apparently, like it's a thing, like people are really into it, and they kind of find it hilarious, but he does it unironically, and. Uh, in one of the one of the pieces that I read, he said he was like, "It was really fun for like the first ninety shows." <laughs> now he has to like has to do it. He's like he's like two hundred. Like Pete Townsend trying to do like windmill guitar uh, moves at age sixty. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like to me this guy has enough of a. What word am I looking for here? He, he has enough of a um, breakfast. <laughs> Tom, long, long John, yeah. skateboard, yeah. Um, dog, he, dog whistle, maybe. Yeah, that's a good one. No, um, he has enough of a sense of humor, presence so, of mind. Presence. Yeah, sure. So I guess that wasn't a word to um, to know that you know, like just like he left Jay Tillman for Father John Misty, um, as far as not pseudonyms, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Characters that he's going to write and perform songs around. You know, at the point where it really gets too much and too old and too annoying for him, like I think he'll he'll move it around. That seems to be the pattern. Well, and I will share one more little bit of, from this um, spin piece, which I think is kind of cool. And he says, and I, I think this is like he he tends to pride himself on being self actualized. Self actualized. So he says, uh, here's the narrative that would have made sense. Um, his delivery, and as always with his songs, placing his words on the thin line between self-mockery and pseudo-profundity. The drummer from a renowned band puts, on a, puts out a solo album, and no one cares the end. <laughs> Instead, I had this moment where I was sitting in a tree, and this is his, his phrasing, utilizing mushrooms. <laughs> and I had this crazy notion that there's a more honest way that I can communicate, and that if I do that, I can just let myself do that. Then everything was going to be fine, and it turned out more than fine. That's a far more bizarre narrative than failure. Everyone fails. And so I think that actually the last part is actually what I kind of took away from that is like, that's true. Everybody fails. Self-awareness. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, um, I think that we should, we should listen to a little Father John Misty. Got a track um, in mind? Yeah, I kind of do because I'm, I'm, I'm starting to understand that this album is, is a quasi-concept album. Of when, you know, him just going and driving down the country from Seattle all the way to to L.A. Um, Where he now resides. Yes. Yeah. Actually, that's not true. He's moved well, to New Orleans. Oh, well, he was living in Laurel Canyon, like in the middle of L.A. And he drove down down the coast. And um, and now that I'm I'm going back and, and, and reading the lyrics for some of these songs I've known for a long time, I'm like, oh, it, it's sort of like they're, they're tied into, A, your trip, and B, your, your novel. Because no one's ever written a novel before. We all know true. that now. Yeah. All right. So which one are we going to spend? I think Fun Times in Babylon. I think that's what he's writing, like anticipating getting to Los Angeles. All right. Here it is. Fun Times in Babylon. Fun times in Babylon. 
up like a corpse and say, get up and dance. Before the beast comes looking for last year's rent. So I'm finding out. Did I did I mention this before that I, I think it's it's a it's a quasi concept album. You mentioned that, but you didn't expound. Well, and well, I feel like it is too. I agree. Yeah, it is definitely. I mean, now that we're, we're talking about this and reading more about it, I mean, I know that he was in Seattle and he, and he. Oh, that's right, because you were saying that he's in New Orleans now, which I did not know. Which I'm. I hope that you will. He is in New Orleans, or he's New Orleans bound. No, he he lives in New Orleans. Now. I'd like to uh-huh. think that he's New Orleans bound, like he's bound in New Orleans. <laughs> no, no, not <laughs> help me. He's got a. I'd like thing. to think that he's got somebody wrote it. Somebody wrote on the back of his windshield like New Orleans, New Orleans bust. <laughs> yeah. I think, and I actually think he's he's married now, so maybe he's that's where the that's what they wrote on the cans that are behind the car. New Orleans bound. He did. I went on the can. So well, let me above let's let, the cans. Let's let Shane um, go where he was going. No, he we wouldn't say anything important. Stuff. None of it's important. Not, yeah. Nothing I ever say in the show is is ever important, <laughs> unless it's about me. <laughs> well, okay, I'll buy that. Because well, I'm the most humble then, the, yeah. <laughs> where, and the most interesting. Where, where yeah. this Why don't we try? Wait a minute. So when? <laughs> oh when well, this is your life, Ryan. It's true. Said, I'm the star of the show. Where were you born, and when, and why? Why is really the big question. That's what I thought. All right, so, let's, let's, okay, let's let's get move back along. on Jay Tillman. Um, so anyway, yeah, it feels like a um, like a like a quasi, and I say quasi because I, I just imagine him. I know that he's going down the West Coast on the way to L.A. It, it says that he he quote got into my van with enough mushrooms to choke a horse and started driving down the coast with nowhere to go. So. Yeah. So he and and you could as you as you listen to the and I didn't know this stuff, but as you listen to these songs, you definitely pick up on elements of um, of the novel he's writing. If you know about the novel, right. and he mentions ayahuasca and mushrooms and 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 drinking quite a bit. So, but eventually he uh, he lands in L.A., lands in Laurel Canyon, and um, and then the rest. I don't know. I don't know how it worked. Well, out. I'm just One thinking about police- like a tripping horse. Sorry, Kevin. Well, sure. No, yeah. I think I think one of the really no funny to choke things, a horse. Yeah, but I mean, to, in order to like test that theory, you have to actually stuff a lot of psychedelic mushrooms into a Ryan, horse. Ryan, I'm taking it too literally. All right, you are. Maybe. All right, Kevin. Anyway, yeah, no. One of the things that I that I read that I thought was really interesting was that he actually so he ended up where he ended up in L.A. On accident, he was trying to go to um, Topanga Canyon, and he ended up in Laurel Canyon, so he's which like is Columbus. like right in the heart of Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, what does this sound like on the mic? Hold on. Uh, I don't, a bug, maybe. Anyway, I don't know. It just sounds weird out here. Yeah, it does. So, at any rate, um, Kevin's gonna beat your ass. I think soon. I took some of those mushrooms. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so he ended up. He ended up sort of smack dab in the middle of Hollywood, and here's this guy who is, you yeah, know, sensitive singer songwriter type. Yeah, well, uh, with this unleashed sense of humor, and he's probably in one of the places where people are more ridiculous than anywhere else on earth. So I think that like conditions were ripe for him to maybe put with his background and with where he was at the time, both figuratively and literally, to put together this record. Well, he had already been building it up on the way down there, obviously too. So sure, it just naked in a tree exploded. Yeah, yeah, naked in a tree, like. You know, Fun Times in Babylon, which we just listened to. I wanted to read this real quick. Um, this is a quote of his, and you're going to have to follow me here because it's really stream of consciousness. But he's talking about how he got the name Father John Misty, and I'm going to leave out some of this. But All right, I'm going to start here. Sort of a name I've decided to give to this weird, subconscious dream fragmentation I have of this homosexual, shamanic, drister... Drifter, sorry, 
who bounces around and stirs up weird shit in my dreams, like making out with my brother. So I guess the aggregate of all those things just felt right. But really and truly, the whole thing is just kind of about the fact that it doesn't matter what the fuck you call yourself, as long as the goods are in the explicit honesty. I think he might have taken some mushrooms before that interview. Might have just a little bit. Uh, (laughs) Homosexual shamanic drifter who bounces around and stirs up weird shit in my dreams. Well, making out with my brother. So I do think that there's a little bit of that, specifically the the um, homoerotic stuff. That is a reaction to the fact that before he homoerotic incestuous. Yeah, I think that's homo. Well, here, stay with me. So the the. There was one of the pieces that I read talked specifically about the fact that he met with a shaman before he took the mushrooms and got naked in a tree. Or the Canadian shaman that gave it a little too much to him. Yeah, well, and mm. and apparently, you know, part of his, you know, part of his you know, religious history has been the distrust of, of sort of that, uh, that whole empire and and the sham the shaman. Apparently, he was saying that. It is not uncommon for the shaman uh, in a given sect to have lots of the ladies. And mm-hmm. so he found that to be a little bit distrustful, like they were kind of on the make. And so anyway, I, I feel like that is the, that's the flip side of that coin is like maybe that's either his subconscious or, or maybe it's more conscious than that, trying to say like, okay, let's subvert. Whatever it is that I think's bogus about this sort of what was supposed to be like kind of a, not necessarily a religious experience but a spiritual one. Weirdly, I have a semi-divergent but still somewhat on-topic uh, comment about shamans. Kevin, do you remember what you said about shamans when you first moved to Austin and we were living together? God uh, no. You said you know. <laughs> I remember <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> you said you know. You know the wor- one of the worst things about moving to a new town is is finding a new shaman. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, well, it's true. And I was planning yeah. on doing lots of hiking. Yeah. So. Well, well, I mean, I, I don't know if you needed a Sherpa. Oh, maybe that's what it is. I think those are two different guys. They, uh, there's an SH. Well, there was yeah. a, and and uh, both of them. Or a there may be some overlap with Sherpa and shaman. Yeah. No, is there? Um, you know, I was really looking for a shamwow. Guides. They're both guides. They're both guides. <laughs> At any rate, no, I didn't remember that. But yeah, um, one thing that I learned along the way in listening to this record was that uh, for fans of the HBO show True Detective, that um, Josh Tillman worked with uh, T-Bone Burnett on coming up with the theme song for that show. And it's very dark, and like having heard it, like it actually sounds like it's in his patois. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was also a funny story that came out of that uh, recording session, which was that um, the the song is actually called "Angry River," the Angry River. Um, and he said, while I was recording my vocals, T Bone's dog ended up eating a bunch of weed laced Tootsie Rolls. And had to be taken to the hospital. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Stop for a second. Yeah. This guy has the best quotes yeah. I've ever read. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You can start at any point this in is- any of his stories. Oh, is it, this dude's dog had a bunch of weed laced Tootsie Rolls. The one before. How do you even get weed into Tootsie Rolls? Like to boot. Yeah. How do you even get weed into Tootsie Rolls? I don't understand. Like running start. Yeah, running start. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Just just thinking about Josh Tillman. Yeah. So anyway, he said uh, he said they had to take their dog to an emergency veterinarian. So that really broke the sanctimony of things. <laughs> that dog was okay in the end, but it was a gold mine for jokes. Like this dog has never heard music like this before. <laughs> <clears throat> And the fact that that's how they referenced that's how they couched it. But anyway, yeah. So anyway, if you're a fan of True Detective, oh, um, you know what? T Burn, T Bone Burnett's. Sorry, dog is high. Fabulous. He's <laughs> Bone t- Birds. T t the fabulous. <laughs> that's what a stroke sounds just like. Generating. <laughs> um, I don't want to sound like. Uh, or I don't want to just constantly play the songs um, that that he's got a sense of humor on. I feel like we should play one of the ones that um, is sad on this album. It sounds a lot different. It's it's definitely not. Well, a lot of this record is like kind of mournful and it is mournful, definitely. Yeah, but um, but also 
clever and not mor- you said morose earlier, and I'm, I'm going to run with that. Let's go with it. I was thinking, um, O to Phil, Phil, back in Texas, O to Phil, O to Phil, O to Phil, your arms around me. Head up to McDonald's. All right, let's do it. So that that song's not quite as dark and morose as the stuff we were talking about before. It's definitely, even though it's really sparse, like very little drums and organ and uh, the background stuff, um, it's not as sparse, I would say, as this solo stuff Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of pretty. Uh, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. No, he's got a terrific voice, and I think even stuff that's spare, where his, where his voice has to carry that, you know... We're no, no one's uh, double and triple tracking, like in no. some of the uh, previous things that we've. Oh, <laughs> is this coming back around to Bon Jovi again? <laughs> yes, nobody's double. Or triple I'll bet tracking. there's some double tracking on this. Well, like maybe. almost everybody sure. who you've heard of. That's no, there's been, a, but there's uh, a difference in doing it for impact and doing it because you have to, you know, carry a thin voice. Yeah, right? we talked right. about this before. Like you can do it for impact, or you can do it as an effect. But I mean, it, you these days we don't really have to double track and triple track. I mean, you can. You can do a lot of – there's a lot of uh, magic going on behind the scenes. Studio trickery. Yes, anyway, exactly. I, uh, but I think the song's beautiful, and I, I think – I thought that of a number of songs on this record. And, anyway. and no, and I, I couldn't agree more. And it, it did keep coming back to me, though, about like every third track or something like, oh, yeah, that one sounds a little like Ringo. Uh, I never heard that in a million years. It's, it's, and it's not that. all the time in every song. It's just like, oh, yeah, like that – just a, Wait, is, the is quality of his voice, the tonality, like the, the timber of his voice, every now and then sounds a little like Ringo, but not in like that plaintive sort of <laughs> tossed off way that Ringo would do it. It was just just every the register. Register. yeah, Without like the sardonic, yeah, yeah like detachment, accent. yeah. Uh, and it was. I felt kind of bad for thinking it, but then I'd think it again. Uh, I ne- I still can't imagine why you would think that well now that you have it in your head and you go back and listen to it you may notice it and maybe you won't uh and it, it, it's not pervasive but i you know, did and it, like and i kept thinking like what am i going to talk about with this record because like it's just pretty good like i think you're just making shit up right now so you had a talking point oh get the fuck out of here i, I actually do sure i actually do point. have a talking point that i wanted to bring up that i have not yet and we have not really talked about and is that Seems to be the jumping off point for most of the press that this man has received is that he's the former drummer for Fleet Foxes. Right. And so I'm going to paraphrase here from what he said about it. And he's like, look, I, you know, I didn't have that much to do with it. You know, he was in the band, but they'd been together for a while. They'd already released two records. And he was like, you know, the writing was already on the wall. They were on their way to becoming really successful. Right. You know, and, you know, so he came in and learned the songs and was their drummer for four years. But, you know, he went off to do his own thing, which I think for a lot of people who are sort of struggling musicians or looking in from the outside, think that sounds insane. You know, you're in this band that's just started to do really well. Why on earth would you leave? It's a hindsight deal. Like, but yeah, and, and the way he, he talks about it is exactly the way that you said. He's like, yeah, I learned, I learned the parts. He sounds very, like, uh, matter of fact about it. Well, and by 2012, but, they were already doing pretty well. Is, if I not, I've got the timeline right there, right? I, I feel like so. by 2112. No, oh, no, yeah, bringing it all back. Doing uh, well, no drummers. <laughs> <laughs> it all anyway, goes back to Rush. Yeah, but, but, but I do think that you're right. Like, he. Yeah, his journey wasn't over, and it, it certainly doesn't sound like it's over here. Like, there's plenty that he he wants. Well, to no, do. And, and I mean, I don't know if I'd call it ballsy, but like uh, a lot of musicians would ride that train as far as they could. I think it's ballsy. Um, and he was like, you know, I just kind of want to pursue my own thing, um, and it sounds like it was amicable, um, you know. But 
I've four no- years is plenty of time to figure out if you want to continue to be the drummer for the Fleet Foxes. Or yeah. The Fleet Foxes. Yeah. Well, also at that point, like you guys got to think, like you're talking about, like he was what what musician would leave a band at the at the at the peak of their powers? And and if you think about what I was saying earlier about Josh Tillman, is he left? I mean, Jade. I remember distinctly hearing some guys at a bar a few years ago say, "Dude, have you heard this Jay Tillman record?" And the guy's like, and the guy next to him, his friend, was like, "It's the best thing I can remember hearing in a long time." And That's high praise, high praise. And I knew that record, and so I was like, "Can I chime in with you guys?" Um, and then he walked away from that and started a whole new thing. So it doesn't surprise me that he would walk away from. Well, those kind of seem to be his mo. You know, like he's. I guess you know. Uh, yeah, and then he confident it, enough and and whatever you know it's all going to work out, and maybe he doesn't necessarily believe that uh, you know everything's going to be getting bigger than the last thing or whatever. Or it, it doesn't even necessarily seem that important to him, other than the fact that he keeps signing with like incrementally larger labels. Well, that yeah, that's true. But um, also he um, he left Seattle with a enough mushrooms to choke a horse. I think he's after banjo on the adventure, knee. the the stories to tell. Yeah. Well, he's not a banjo on his knee, pants down to his knees. Oh, gotcha. That was close. It's similar. Well, at the very least, it seems like he continues to be on an upward trajectory. There's been a lot of uh, scuttlebutt about what the, the story is with the new record. The one thing that I did want to share about his move, there was a, um, there was a piece that was written not very long ago, um, a couple of months ago, about the, you know, trying to keep tabs on what it, what's going on with his new record, and it sounds like most of it has been written. But in, in the intervening time, he's moved from L.A. to New Orleans, and he talks a little bit about his mindset, and I thought this was really fascinating. His mindset in L.A. was, like, and this I'm paraphrasing, basically said, like, I would get up, and I would be like, today I'm going to write. And so I would go get coffee, and then I would sit down and and he was like, it would take me nine hours to get out of the line to get coffee because you're in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, then it was time to go to the bar. <laughs> and so, but he but he made it sound like somehow industrious, like he was like getting a lot done. Mm-hmm. And he was like, in New Orleans, he's like, nobody works. <laughs> so he's like, oh, perfect. There's so many. There's so many hours of the day. He's like, I feel like I really should be doing something. And so it sounds like he is. I mean, he, he has apparently been taken in by New Orleans muse but it'll be interesting to see if that carries over the next record i mean it seems like it would to me uh take him out of i won't say it's the structured environment on the west coast but it's the fucking wild west even though it's not on the west new orleans is the fucking wild west so yeah i'm you, excited you and i have had a little time in new orleans we um, have ryan we had we went to mardi gras um, did we go once or twice together? We we just went the one we time. Went the one we time. slept in a van. We did sleep um, in a van one night. I came back to the van and we went with a mutual friend of ours, Nathan, who uh, actually, oddly enough, he just told me tonight that he's a big fan of this record and he uh, he pretty much followed Jay Tillman's trajectory from Seattle to California. He was like, "You should put me on your show. I can talk all about what that trip's like." I was like, "What trees?" Like what the trees look like, what the what the ocean in the Pacific like. Northwest. Yeah, I don't think Jay Tillman's up in a fucking tree, like crewing like a baboon right now. Um, Maybe he's yeah. thanking everybody for coming out, which was a Nathan thing. Dancing in his own. Way. That that is for for those who don't know Nathan. Nathan liked to go out to bars, and towards the end of the night, he would stand at the door like he worked there. And say, or hey, thanks for coming out. Place. Or own the place. Hey, thanks for coming out. And people are like, oh, yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we it's went. a great bit. We went to New Orleans, Ryan, and um, for Mardi Gras. And one night I came back to the van that we stayed in for four days. And um, we had lost each other at some point. And uh, I think I was in the van and you were walking up. And I was like, dude, they sell. I was 21. You were 22. And I was like, dude, they sell beer 24 hours a day. And you're like, fuck yeah, let's get a beer. So we get, I get out of the van. I, I remember this. We went to like the worst bar in we the world. We went to a bar right which around is the corner. several of them. Yeah, yeah. But, but in this in this bar, and this is maybe 7 o'clock in the morning, 6 in the morning. Um, it was daylight. No, no. It was daylight when we left, not when okay, we got there. Yeah. Um, but it was getting close. And we go inside, and the bar only sold Bush Tallboys. 
And um, there were all these people doing work at the bar, and like there was somebody like that had a like a like a hand truck full of cases of Bush Tallboys putting them away, and there was somebody else like cleaning the bathroom, and, and it took Ryan and I a few minutes to figure out that everybody in the bar that was doing the work. They were doing the work for free beer, like they had a setup with, oh, the, yeah. with the with the owner of the bar. And do, you, do you remember what my quote that I still remember? Like these are all people who alcohol has ruined their life. That's true. It yes. was all people with questionable dental work and um, work histories and places of residence. Anyway, the comedy was uh, yeah. I will say that um, and this is totally true. I once hit. Roy Orbison in the back of the head with a plastic football during Mardi Gras in New Orleans. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. He's dead now, too. I know. That was not the cause. Are you sure? <laughs> no. But, well, he turned around. I mean, that happened. But it, it's not like he fell over like he was shot. Yeah, but maybe it was it was a time bomb. Oh, maybe. They're, they're I won't, like, get, it, I won't get into it now, but I have made Dustin Hoffman cry. <laughs> oh, that's true. That, that yeah. a story for another day. Anyway, uh, I, I love but, how we we've all slid into this cesspool of tears <laughs> right at, right at the end here. Yeah, Can, let's get back on. Let's let's do it. <laughs> I, we've got another. Uh, we're cracking each other up with our horrible stories. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kevin. No, no, you're good. Um, but there is a there is another um, track to play and. Shane, this is your record. What would you like to hear? Well, okay, so I want to play Nancy from now on, and a lot of it is because, well, A, it's my favorite song on this record, but B, why we're talking about the lawlessness that is the city of New Orleans, which I have so many stories to tell in the future about waking up in courtyards of castles at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, um, having only ingested ecstasy the night before, but... Those are those are many stories that can come in the future. Um, Nancy from now on is sort of a a song that encapsulates all of that, and uh, it basically by by Nancy he means I'm pretty sure he means Nancy boy. So, um, well you'll see. So go right. ahead and play Nancy from now on. Nancy from now on. Oh. And punch me in the face You can call me Nancy Every man wears a symbol And I know I have mine I've got my right hand stamped In the concentration camp Where my organs scream slow down, man States below Yes, that was Nancy from now on by Father John Misty, otherwise known as Jay Tillman, otherwise known as Josh, Josh Tillman. Tillman, otherwise known as, by seemingly every article, the former drummer for Fleet Foxes. Oh, yeah. I for- <laughs> totally forget about that. I didn't even know that he was the drummer. For- I like Fleet Foxes, too. Well, and he downplays it, but it also like he also speaks in a very, like, I have... I have friends in Brooklyn. I like Brooklyn just fine, and I think they produce a lot of really killer bands, but... Brooklyn folks, like especially uh, up and coming or uh, prescient Brooklyn band members, have a very particular method of sharing their thoughts, and, and like he falls right into that too. Like it's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Schopenhauer talk. <laughs> like I was like, oh, all right, why don't you just just play the play the hits? Heidegger, yes, exactly. Nietzsche. Oh. What should I throw in? Like Emmanuel Kant? Yes, uh, exactly. I, I was going to say, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about Benny Hill again. Yes, exactly. Uh, Benny Hill, the great German philosopher. Oh, of course, yes. Okay, uh, let's get out of this. One of, one of the things that we probably won't get to, and I just want to share one thing, is that I did uh, get a chance to watch the um, video for uh, the single on this record that stars Aubrey Plaza. 
who I, I have a little bit of a crush on her. Hollywood uh, Forever Cemetery sings. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, she's she's a stunner. But beyond that, like. It is a it's it's a little fucked up. Like she's she is she's crazy enough that Ryan that our old roommate Jeff way like back in the day when he only mm. dated girls that were categorically insane and this would show true. up at our house and sit on our couch in the dark. That happened. Like she was one of those girls. Like the character that she plays in that video is one of those girls. And um, you know one of the, I don't know if this is the same one, but I came home from work one day and none of us were home. But some girl he'd met on the internet that they'd gone out on like two dates was like sitting in our living room. Yeah. I'm like, what's up? <laughs> Where's Jeff? <laughs> She's like, oh, he's not here. I just decided to wait here for him. Yeah. I'm like, how'd you get in? <laughs> She's like, how did she get in? Flamethrower? Uh, I think somebody had left like the back sliding glass door unlocked. Uh, but she had to figure it out. Like, that, this one doesn't work. This one doesn't work. Oh, now I can get in. Yeah, it was a weird choice for her to make. But anyway, the point being is like um, seeing that it took me back to a place that I don't go to very often, which is namely that uh, that we don't, I don't we don't watch videos anymore. Videos used to s- sort of help couch how we would fi- like think about songs. Well, we don't actually. We don't. A lot of are extremely extremely. A lot of millennials and youngins of whatever the buzzword kids, the kids is today. Well, no, yeah. people in general. I mean, you think about like cat videos. I mean, you can extrapolate that to to. There to, definitely to, there definitely are people who watch videos. YouTube they just channels. don't do it in the same manner that we did. No, that's fair. It's all but, yeah, it's all fair. on the computer now. Sure. At the very least, this was a this was a, a video that had escaped me, and it escaped me, like I didn't get a chance to experience it until I'd actually already sort of bonded with the song. And I found that the that the vision of the of the video or the message of the video was, Wait, do was we wanna, and that was cool. Do Look. we want to just watch this video together and then come back in? I'm down. Yeah. All right, sure, let's do it. Let's let's wa- let's watch it so we can we'll we'll talk about it. All right, we'll be back in a minute. So yeah, that was uh, that was the Aubrey Plaza version of uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery Sings. Yeah, yeah, yeah it rolls right off it's, the tongue. I know it's it sounds like an accidental fortune cookie. It does. Fortune. Most of the fortune cookies I get uh, tell me stuff that I would already know. Oh, but, by the way, but, do you, have I ever told you guys the greatest fortune I was ever given in a fortune cookie? Was it because it, was it something like you would like to travel? No, no. Even better, it's it. This actually was very specific, and it completely sums me up. And I think it's you like guys, Shane, you're awesome, dude. It wasn't. It didn't have my name. It said, "You will be conservative, cautious, and practical." Yeah, um, that doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> no, it. That's when I knew that fortune cookies <laughs> were completely bunk. Yes. Yeah. No, that that they were sarcastic. They were. Sar- yeah, anyway, I briefly, a sense of humor. I briefly dated a sorority girl who was just said, like, you know, just add in bed you know, to all of it. Oh, I've heard mm-hmm. all about that. Yeah. You yeah, will I mean, be conservative, cautious, and practical in bed. Also no. not true. No, <laughs> from what I understand. Anyway, so, so yeah. So Aubrey, Did you just go – you just shook your head and said, stop it, Ryan. Yeah. Well, I'm well just, I'm, no, we're, we're getting off I'm track. I'm bored with the sidetracking. So, so, yeah, so Aubrey Plaza it stars in that video, and – you know, you guys have seen it now. So, like, what do you like? Well, it, we had a little bit of a spirited debate uh, during its airing, and and I, you know, Shane was thinking that it uh, 
like is has no narrative and i wouldn't say that i, th- I think it seems like you know here's you know sort of the classic archetype crazy girl that we know she's at, definitely crazy at That's- one time or another been with which is not to say that there aren't crazy men out there ladies no um I'm not saying she's not crazy. What I'm saying is that there's she's never in the in the course of the narrative or whatever narrative there is in that video. There's never a point where it it actually tells a story about why she's crazy or what she's being crazy about, and then it ends with her leaving the party and rolling around with somebody in some weird red fog, and then being <laughs> awakened with the blood. Well, it starts with her with the bloody nose in the middle of a road. Well, and there's well, some question about whether there was necrophilia involved. In, in, I didn't see well, the necrophilia the, no, well, the, part. So the song talks about going to going to funerals, and so there is like there's the whole thing. She's dressed in black. Anyway, the the point being is like going through the blow by blow of the the video is probably not that interesting in a podcast form. But I but I think what ultimately is interesting was the way that that I found that like. Seeing the way that the artist characterizes their own work is always pretty fascinating to me, and I don't watch videos that often anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I thought it was pretty interesting, and I thought I thought Aubrey Plaza um, plays a pretty good crazy gal. True. No, also, was- also I could probably watch her do laundry for two hours, and I'd be all right. <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah. yeah, it was a beautiful looking video, and it was definitely crazy, and it definitely fed into my idea of Father John Misty, which is some guy off to the side that said a lot of crazy things, and that has pretty much ninety percent degree control in his mind over what he said. But there's some stuff that's always out there that's just floating off to the edge. That he's like. I don't really know what this is, but let's just leave it out there and it sounds yeah, good. We'll just roll with it. Yeah. Well, anyway, the, I thought this was a cool record for you to uh, trot out for, Shane, and I really, really enjoyed listening. Yeah, to I, I do appreciate but, it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I, Kevin, I thought you might. Um, I was uh, there was I wasn't familiar with the last half of it, but I was really happy that I had to listen to the rest of the record, and I was very happy with that. Um, listened to it all week on repeat. and But, Ryan, I never knew what, you're the, you're the what I was card. going to think. Or... Yeah, because I all, uh, often think I know what you're going to be thinking. Man, I just like well-recorded but not overproduced, generally pretty melodic and not discordant music. Okay. Well, so this is right in your wheelhouse. What yeah. I do think will be fascinating, you guys, and I, I'm saying this in the present, uh, and we'll see where it goes from here, but if this is one of these deals where like, it seems like this guy's legend is sort of taking off right now, um, and has been for well, how many views years? did that video have? It was like a million, four hundred thousand oh, something. Even, I didn't even look at that. Yeah. Point, but it totally he, makes sense. He's, he's doing fine. Yeah, he's doing fine. So, so to that end, I'll be interested, you know, we talk about how sites like, and Pitchfork is not the only one who does this, Rolling Stone's done it, and several other publications, but they, you know, pun intended this week, find religion on an album after it comes out, and like, they give it their initial review, and then they, then the groundswell happens, and then they come back, and they're like, oh, that Neutral Milk Hotel record actually was perfect, and we just didn't figure it out right at the beginning, so they give it a, t- like a retroactive yeah. yeah, maybe that corrective ten years surgery after it comes out. But yeah. yeah, but it but it feels like that happens every now and again. So it'll be interesting to see if that you know, and maybe this next album will help determine what the you know, where this album falls. Well, I think we would legacy. probably all agree. And maybe I'm speaking for the group, and maybe I shouldn't. But it seems to me that he's at that point where it's right before like an artist breaks, and like I mean, he's obviously well known among a number of his. You know, already fan base, but like I've never heard him on the radio, um, and he's you know recording for Sub Pop, which is forty nine percent owned by Warner, um, so they have the resources to you know push him even further. And it could be like a my morning jacket thing, something where somebody never truly breaks, 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 breaks in the, in the know, popular t- consciousness, but does quite well. Yeah, with the people that that are that uh, choose to. Enjoy their music. Remind right? me, Ed, for whatever it's worth, if if there's any interest, if you if either of you have any interest, I do have a listing of like what some of the larger mainstream and even some indie groups charge 
to oh, I've, got, I've got that too. Do you have that actually. too? Isn't yeah. That, yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Like it's fascinating. It is. So there's there's good money to be made by being just under overexposed. Maybe like, we start with that next week. The reading of that we could, list. We could. Who's so who's got the record next week? Is that you, Kevin? It's Kevin. It is. And so so we um you know, and I was really I here's the you know, this is the problem that I'm running into and it's a it's a problem in air quotes because it's not really an issue. Like I the, there's so much music that I wanna explore and some that I love and, and just wanna dive into and because Shane did something reasonably recent, like I have all Are that. Are you stuff pulling per- the hole away? I'm, again? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. We're gonna go ahead and do we're gonna go ahead and do live through this. The whole record. or or a whole record. Um, we're gonna do a partial amount of a whole record. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but I but I we teased that before and um and so we're gonna do that. But but I do think this was a great uh this was a great opportunity for me to think about some of the things that have come out recently that are cool that I just didn't know that well, and I can't wait to dive into some of that moving forward down the road. But next, we'll do uh, we'll we'll talk about fifty year old Courtney Love and what she used to sing about. Oh my god, she is such a darling. Yeah, um, yeah and I'm thinking about doing a um, Hank Williams Jr. record uh, two weeks from now. Uh, high notes. If it, you don't do high notes, I will drive to your house, crawl in through your window, please and don't beat do you that. up. Well, okay. So the reason, the, and I don't, I don't know anything about this record other than the fact that it contains it a just cover. Sounds amazing. It contains a cover of Norwegian Wood by the Beatles, and I can't begin to imagine what Hank Williams Jr. covering Norwegian Wood by the Beatles sounds like. But I, I think we're probably going to find out. Ooh, that just gave me a good idea for uh, for I one. You were gonna say, "Ooh, that just gave him good boner idea." Feeling like, downstairs. Uh, yeah, I no, got a boner. No, I did not get a boner. No, <laughs> he said, That's "Crying out loud." Okay, well, we're it's devolving time to, into six-year-olds. Yeah, it's time to go, kids. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah, join us again next week when we'll uh, dodge the issue of what Courtney Love has become and who she was before, and. Um, I don't think we'll dodge that issue. I think Actually, we'll fully embrace it. No, we probably will. And fortunately, she's not she's not anywhere in the proximity, so she can't throw any of my lawn equipment at me. But uh, try to set your house on fire. But I am. But I am really interested to dive into things like you know what some of the rumors have been around you know the men who have been in her life and the successful records and whether that's fair or unfair and whether her caustic public persona bleeds into what people think about her music and i think sometimes it does and sometimes maybe it well, doesn't we'll, like, we'll, we'll address that it. at the appropriate time it's hard for me to not bring it up right now but sure yeah. i know me too there's, yeah but there's lots <clears throat> to talk about and yeah. um and so next week it'll be whole live through this this go around was father joe uh john misty father, father joe yeah, I like <laughs> father joe misty it's his less talented cousin that lives a few miles away yeah. from him. he was also like naked the two in the tree. he's got he's got like a jug he was also naked in the tree that guy just went home so yeah <laughs> anyway he Shane, lives naked in the tree father john misty what was the name of the record again Shane? fear fun fear fun Anyway, Shane, thanks for calling this one. Father Joe Misty's album is get out of here. Shut up. <laughs> All, right. All right. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> we're, we're, out, we're out. 